Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Today, this is Hobbs Q coming at you. Uh, I am without Alex, so Alex actually is up convalescing a little bit. He uh, broke his foot actually on the way to work and is kind of having to, um, he's on crutches right now. He has his recording stuff with him, but we weren't able to record this weekend uh, as he's kind of getting set up to work from home a little bit. So, uh, you know, I was kind of sitting around earlier this morning and I have a new project that I'm working on. It's something that we're going to talk about in a little bit. And this project I've been helped along with by a, a friend of mine from the Twitters, uh, Dan Rothbart, also known as at Majin. And I do not know what the underscore is because it's Dragon Ball Z, I believe you said, Dan. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, Modern Shrimp says how I believe it said. Okay, so I like I just straight up forever thought that your name was like Majin or how I had no clue how it was pronounced, uh, then learned that it's Dan. So uh, him and I have been talking back and forth about a deck that I am working on. And he's also told me about a deck, an EDH deck built around Kenrith. And so I wanted to bring him on so that we can have a chance to talk a little bit about deck building. We did this a little bit when we had some uh we had Ked, Ken and Set on from One More Mana kind of deck building philosophies that was more so. Well, this is going to take it to a different area where we talk about maybe building around flavor, building around a story, kind of what you're doing with a deck in a different way other than just kind of mechanics or why you include certain cards for their abilities. So first thing we need to do is introduce Dan, because Dan has not been on the show before. That is correct. I've never been on the show before, <laughs> and it's uh, kind of crazy that I was approached. Um, I didn't I didn't think, you know. Do you think I was joking around when I just like sent you a message this morning? I knew you were serious. Okay. I knew you would not joke about something like that. But, I mean, I'm technically, you know, in a, in a sense, I'm kind of a nobody and just a random person on the interwebs. And you know, it's a big honor to get approached in my eyes, you know, for a long-standing podcast such as this one, you know. <laughs> so I just, you know, I, what's funny is when I was, so Dan was asking me before we got started today about kind of um, structure of our show, and I sent him some show notes that for an example and realized I sent you the show notes from imposter syndrome. And I, it's just kind of funny to me because as soon as you even started saying that, like my imposter syndrome kicked in, it was like long standing. What do you mean? Who are you talking about? Who is this podcast that you're talking about? Well, and it's funny <laughs> because I know I definitely have it, especially in a works setting. And, um, you know, that's something that I'd been struggling with. And then I see the one I was like, Oh God, what are the odds that that's the one that he sends me as the example <laughs> I, I swear i just picked a random just whatever one popped up that had a good that's structure to it uh -huh. Uh -huh. that's what they all say so, so anyways i am um dan also known as uh modern shinsa so you can find me on twitter uh usually very active uh sometimes i'm in random discords um you know just kind of hanging around i've been hanging out for years in the the pleasant kenobi one i mean one called the blind eternities um the eight rack discord so you know i i kind of get around but mostly twitter <laughs> we're in ours also, though until yeah, well, today. I, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> today i'm now a proud member of the goblin lore podcast and uh, <laughs> but mostly twitter you know because it's not yeah. blocked at work and uh, discord is 
so you know, I've been hanging out on there a lot. And uh, background on my name. In 2000, I bought bootleg copies of Dragon Ball Z off of eBay, which had just kind of started. And uh, they were subtitled versions of Dragon Ball Z because it had not reached that far in America yet. And, uh, but they were copied off VHS tapes, <laughs> including I literally could not watch some of the episodes because uh, they did not... Oh, what was that the word that you would use for uh, tuning it? You know, you would have a. I, I just you know, like the, picturing so many of our. It, 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 there was like a tune button. Basically, it was like a the, the balance. You had it was like a a knob that you basically had to turn. Yeah, and then yeah, to like bring a signal in or what you were recording. Yeah. yeah. So it was so bad though <laughs> that I literally couldn't watch about a dozen or two dozens episodes of this one arc, and so like I actually still haven't even watched it. Oh. Uh, because they never tuned it, so I I couldn't read the subtitles or even see the picture. Half uh, the audience right now is like, <laughs> "What is he talking about? Bootlegs, VHS, <laughs> like copies? What?" <laughs> the, the early days of eBay when they were just gathering an audience and they didn't really care what they sold on there, and uh, <laughs> so they. Uh, then I went onto a GeoCities website another blast from the past, you know, back when anybody can make those. And uh, this site would take your name and claim that this is the Japanese, you know, how you would say it in Japan. Mm -hmm. And uh, so apparently somebody had said that Shinsa was how you said Dan. So, yeah, that that's the background of my illustrious name. I'm probably offending so many people that actually know Japanese, like... <laughs> Yeah, and it's hard. I would say too, you know, like the things that we didn't know in like early two thousand, late nineties. I mean, like it's wild to me. I so I use Hobbs or HobbsQ, um, which is where I can be found on Twitter. And I think the other day somebody had posted a thread on content creators. Where'd you get your name? Uh, I moved into the dorms as a freshman in ninety eight, and I downloaded this fancy program called AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> But I didn't want it to have the same as like my AOL email. So I apparently just went with, well, Calvin and Hobbes, that's cool. I really love it. I mean, this is something that has definitely that part did stick with me. And my last initial is Q. So I just put Hobbes Q. And I have now been with that name since 98. And there are literally, I mean, I would say most of the magic community pretty much only know me by the name Hobbes. Uh, this has been a joke that my wife and I have been walking down the street in Minneapolis and have somebody yell out Hobbes like across the street at us. So you, what, what, what the audience is going to find out today is that you and I are old and we've had yes. our name for a very long time. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm stubborn. I've had it for so long that any time that I would think about changing it, I would have like a small panic attack almost because I'm used it so long. Mm -hmm. It's, basically in my sense my version of myself on the internet and i mean I and can the longer that it goes <laughs> like the less likely it's like a self-fulfilling thing because now if you think of changing it you're not going to and then each time that just reinforces stronger and stronger and stronger yeah i mean you're I gonna be like 90 and using old this blog that i wrote in 2002 maybe that um <laughs> is like it's called f w bush or George George Bush, I mean, 
because I was uh, very mad at the war of Iraq and I thought I was going to get drafted at the time. So I was not ironic. <laughs> I mean, you didn't get drafted because we didn't have a draft. And at the same time, I ended our, up... <laughs> yeah, you ended up serving anyway. Yeah, I ended up serving as a mercenary more since because I was having a kid and uh, I was working at a temp agency and I said, I need I need money. <laughs> yeah. So, so Dan and I have known each other for quite a while in, on Twitter, and we actually have a love of some things when it comes to magic that I think uh, might get us made fun of in certain societies or certain circles. So uh, white borders, I think we both are cool with. Um, unsleeved magic cards is another really big one, and the sound that you they like make when you sleeve them. Decks well, unsleeved. Yes. That is true. You will unsleeve basically and play with anything. I, mean, uh, I have a random. Lands. Yeah, I have a dual land and fetches in one deck. I yeah. found a uh, a beta control magic. I forgot that I owned because it was in a <laughs> random unsleeved deck of mine that I put in a box and forgot about. Uh, yeah, my uh, I have ADHD, and part of that is if you don't see it you lose it yeah and uh so i put them in a box and i only made five of the 10 decks and the goal was to have these uh peasant decks commons mm -hmm. only commons only and have 10 of them based around each color guild and i completed five of them and then i ended up finding the other five that i put away so i could find them easier and make them later <laughs> I think my oh, favorite part about this is like the fact that it that is true, commons and uncommons, and it's a beta control magic in it. Just like, like I'm pretty sure. I, I mean, yeah, I think control magic is an uncommon. It is. It is. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, <laughs> I I will also say too. Since now that work is over for the day, I, my brain didn't even register ADHD at all. I thought you were saying something about EDH. I was like, oh, oh yeah, A, D, E, D, uh, yeah. So, nope. Wow. I'm I'm glad to know that I can separate my work life from my Magic the Gathering <laughs> life, and I'm very happy about that. So the main thing that I want to talk about today was a while ago, you posted a Kenrith deck. You and I were having a discussion, and it was kind of, um, this was a deck that you built specifically around I mean, lots of people have built Kenrith. There's very easy ways to make Kenrith degenerate. Um, you accidentally In, found one, not even meaning to. So yeah. you approached this a little bit differently, though. So can you tell me a little bit about how you approached just this deck at the outset? So the, the first version was actually still a fairy tale kind of version of the deck. And I mean, I just kind of went through all the uh, Throne of Eldraine cards, and I was like, oh. I can do the knights. There's a whole knight cycle. There's a whole castle cycle. You know, you've got... Uh, then you also got the nobles. You know, so there was all kinds of kinds of fun stuff. And I was like, oh, who? what kind of mana rock should this have? Oh, most definitely a spinning wheel. You know, it's just, you know, part of, you know, the the theme, you know. However, I was also still approaching it a little bit with a how can I use Kenrith to the best of my ability? So I included uh, the artifact that reduces 
activation costs by two. It's a heart, <laughs> yep, mm-hmm. heart something. And then there was a guy in the Simic guild that does uh, the same thing. Uh, and so you were finding ways to kind of like, yeah, even though you had a still, theme, you were still, still trying to abuse it a little bit. Yeah. And then without thinking at some point, I don't remember adding it. I might've added a Seaborn Muse. <laughs> um, that's no matter how kind you want to be with Kenrith, having a Seaborn Muse in a low power game when I have like 15 mana, that, yeah, it was busted. Uh, the play group kind of groaned. And then I dropped the dethrone um, queen. Yeah, uh, Marchesa. Marchesa. Mm-hmm. So then I could just add plus one, plus one counters all the time oh my to my creatures. So even if they tried to get rid of them, uh, I and then I just looked at the group. I apologized and I said, you know what? I'm not being fair. And I I just said, I'm going to put these in the graveyard and not bring them back. <laughs> I think what we learned is that there are no fair uses of Seedborn Muse, basically. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. There is none. I mean, as much as you might think that you're trying to be fair with it and, and it may be on flavor, there's no fair uses of Seedborn Muse. And you were setting out to make a kind of fairy tale deck, right? I mean, that was the intention behind this. And I'm going to link some photos to this. But you yeah. were, I mean, the idea behind this was that you were trying to make a Kenrith fairy tale deck in the yeah. vein of Eldraine, not just using Eldraine cards, though. Yeah, I mean, I even found out that there was a uh, a portal card called uh, King's Assassin to go along with the classic Royal Assassin. And um, so I was kind of focusing a little bit more on the... Uh, in the original build, it was more on the um, King Arthur side of it, you know, uh, with the royal assassin, you know, the queen, uh, the queens and the various nobles and stuff kind of more or less focusing on like a king. Sometimes they do shady things with the royal assassin, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they've got all the different castles and the lords and oh. Um, you know, uh, other cards like Plea for Power, you know, that just sounded, you know, like they would belong in, you know, with a king. And one thing we're going to um, complain about right now before we move any further along is that you, you you approach this with a nobility standpoint, including lots of nobles and royalty. However, Goblin King did not meet the criteria, given that Goblin King is not a noble. No, and uh, wizards need to hear this again, just in case yeah. Gavin, if you're listening, if you have <laughs> any effect whatsoever, you, you came on the show, you gave us some talk to us about goblins that were coming. We did get Muxus who was known to now be a noble. Well, a group of goblins pretending to be one noble, um, one day a week. Uh, but anyway, our friend Goblin King was not retconned to be a noble. And I actually have a note on my microphone right here that says wizards might not consider, say Goblin Noble doesn't exist, but I am. So, and Dan sent that to me. So I will say, yes, that I I'm did. just going to like be very upset about your deck not having Goblin King because it didn't fit the theme. 
I think it, I couldn't also find one either. I think my son stole ours <laughs> and put it in our goblin deck. So I guess you can't really okay. be too I, angry. I mean, I'm confused about a world where somebody owns one goblin king and not multiple different printings and like six copies of the Foglio art with the best lie. flavor text. And yeah, I'm kind of surprised that I don't either because <laughs> you can play them in old school. Oh, that's right. My other son has four copies in his old school deck. All right. Because I think that's the one that's got uh, from Alpha, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Alpha. he's got the other four copies okay. in his old school deck with his beta Mons Goblin Raiders. Nice. But you were approaching this really with uh, kind of the, like you said, Arthurian legend. Um, so you were looking for ways to be able to include stuff that, you know, Yes, Wizards had done a very specific now fairy tale. Some of the Arthurian legend was in there, especially with the way that the knights were portrayed. You were still looking out across all of magic's history. Um, the reason I bring this up is because I, I want to know, like, for, you're somebody obviously that's played for a very long time. Um, I know yes, since Ice Age. <laughs> since Ice Age. August still, of 95, not that I know exactly when I started. <laughs> How do you start doing a search for putting together a deck list like this. Cause this so, is one thing I've struggled with when I'm trying to build a very flavorful deck. You. So well, after that game, I just, I literally never played it again as it was. Right. And I, and I've got one of those, um, the Stanley uh, containers that the, uh, the professor talked about, you know, which ones I'm talking about. Yeah, like the toolbox ones yeah, that you can use. Yeah, yeah. so mm -hmm. my father-in-law makes fun of me because why would I put tools in it, you know, <laughs> uh, when he comes over? But anyways, they come with these nifty little uh, yellow containers, and they can come in and out. And if you remove one, it doesn't actually affect any of the other ones, right? So I took the deck out, so that way I would not be able to play with it. I put it on my messy desk, and I went through, and I took out a bunch of cards. You know, I definitely the first one, Seaborn Muse, took that right out. Then I then I really drilled down through the deck. Um, it, you know, I reduce I took out the the mana reducers because then I realized that those are you know also quite the offender. And then I said, what kind of story do I want to tell? And I came across Quest for Vengeance, I think it is, uh, from it has Sorn on it. So I said maybe what happened in the story was you got a card called doom foretold already in the set what if he lost like his way after uh, being turned into you know into an elk and he goes on a campaign of violence against the wilderness you know that they were taught you know you see them in all the different cards it's mostly You've got the fairy tale side and you've got the King Arthur side, you know, and what if he just went crazy and decided to go to war, take them all out? Um, so I started just rifling through my cards and it started leaning very black heavy. And I just, the more I looked at it, the more I wasn't really happy with the story that it was telling, you know, because I had, um, you know, the various, uh, cards that if you get attacked they lose life mm -hmm. um and it felt kind of dark and gritty you know lots of uh kill spells 
you know, with my assassins and and I decided that that was not the, the kind of deck that I wanted to build. The deck that I wanted to build needed to run happily ever after. And if you're on a quest for vengeance, that's not very happily ever after. <laughs> I mean, the old phrase of, you know, if you're a gap, you start out with vengeance, uh, you know, make sure to dig two graves, you know. Yeah. The idea that I, the story is not going to necessarily have a happy ending. And you you really, I mean, you you approach this deck as if the whole deck is telling a story. And you wanted the story to have a happy ending. So you had to start realizing like, okay, well, does this card work for that? Like, I still have to have conflict. I still have to have interaction. I still need to have, uh, you know, like I said, there still is vengeance going on, but you also weren't starting out to just make a gritty, dark story. Yeah, so once I changed the focus, oh, what I did then was I basically almost ripped out every card out of his sleeve. I found these cards called the Throne of Empires, Scepter of Empires, and Crown of Empires. And I said, okay, that's a good start. You know, got more pieces for my kingdom. So I'll throw those in. And then by waiting, I got to encounter cards called the various courts, Court of Grace, Court of Ire, and so on. So now, not only does Linden have, you know, her card and her mm-hmm. uh, her knight. Um, let's trying to remember what the uh, dang it, what's the the white knight's name? <laughs> oh, Sir uh, Sir Allen, I think it is. In this household, oh, we only re- we we only really recognize Sir Gwen in this house. So, <laughs> yes, I only play Sir Gwen in in old school. Um. Okay, so I said, well, I've got the knight, I've got the noble. My castle lands went missing during this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing into other decks or into another deck box or something. So I said, on your desk, I don't... maybe. No, I cleaned up my desk once I started working from home. Okay. And okay. it's messy again, but I cleaned up <laughs> before that. <laughs> so uh, I said, I'm going to add the courts. I mean, the court and the castle represent the same thing in my eyes, you know? Mm-hmm. It's the, the central place of all these different areas. So now I've got all five nobles. Um, I've got the knights and I've got the courts. And it also took care of me running kind of weird spells that would give me uh, Monarch because, I mean, Monarch screams king, you know? Or yeah. queen. Or queen. It I mean, screams. Well- royal one of the things i think is kind of cool getting to have the court cards in particular so you know one of the things that was nice about commander legends is they they really wanted that and i remember when i built my box my boxing league deck around it like the 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 first game or two that we played it was very clear that they wanted monarch to be a mechanic to, to encourage this attacking and so they really made this whole idea of the courts and they made a sub theme within the deck around it, you know, kind of a flavor to that. Well, for you, you get kind of that like fight for the throne kind of situation that you can just naturally have telling out even in other people's decks. Like the, those court effects are so strong that people are going to want to try to take the monarchy away from you. I mean, there really is kind of a fight for that. So now your deck isn't just telling 
the King Arthur story <laughs> or its own fairy tale, um, you're letting other people's decks have a chance to get in on that story too, in some ways. Exactly. And, you know, now it's forcing me to also just say, listen, if you don't take the Monarch from me, Kenrith can give you cards. In fact, you don't attack me. <laughs> Maybe I'll let you draw two cards, you know, and use that to to not die from commander damage. <laughs> so you, know. you, you wanted to play the politics. You, yes. yeah, like this deck was something that would allow you to, because that's the great thing about Kenrith. Kenrith targets. I mean, that's one of the things I love. I mean, I love the fact that I love spells and abilities that let me do something like that or or at least i can make the joke <laughs> that i'm gonna let yes. somebody do something well yeah i mean you can buff their creatures you can bring them back you like there's all kinds of hey if you um cast that triumph of the horde i'll give your creatures haste if you don't attack me you know and then just hope that they don't turn on you so the other part is kenrith is uh, very much a family man too. Uh, and I know that he has a few children. So <laughs> he's got the royal silence. Yep. And are you laughing because I also have a few children or <laughs> there was many laughs going into that. Like I've been thinking about like your role as a father, but it, which is true throughout this. Like you've mentioned your kids already a couple of times. Um, I'm yes. also just thinking All of like six of them will crack packs. Right, and I leave them laying around because <laughs> <laughs> your house does not have that problem of un, uh, like packs being saved. Um, I also was just thinking this idea that like, do we know how many kids Kenrith really has? I mean, on the fairy tale side, they will always talk about him being, you know, a good man, a good family man. I mean, the king is on the road. Game of Thrones has taught us stuff. You get bored in taverns. And you have many illegitimate children? Yes, that's the phrase. So, um, not all of the cards, though, were um, directly uh, printed onto cards. Like, I know that some of the adventure cards and stuff were built around his kids. Um, Particularly, there's a a green card. Uh, curious. Um, I think it's Curious Pair. And that's, that card represents his two younger children getting lost in the woods and getting uh, tempted, you know, in the wilds. Mm -hmm. So to represent them, because obviously the Royal Scions, you know, though, that's Will and Rowan. Those are the Planeswalkers, you know, that share a spark. Um, and having twins myself, they're actually a focus as my other, my very first kind of all, all in deck like that, where every card is a clone deck or clone card. Okay. So the twins always, you know, remind me of that. Mm -hmm. So I brought in the Charming Prince and Beloved Princess. Mm -hmm. And I figured that those two, you know, want the, the Curious Pair were... Uh, younger boy and older girl, I believe. And, you know, those two can kind of fill in that role. And what is a story about Kenrith? 
without Kenrith's transformation. And uh, the Unexplained Vision, I just love that card because um, it's the twins trying to find their father to figure out what's going on. And like the artwork uh, by Bram is mm -hmm. just, it's amazing. And I have a foil copy, so it looks even cooler. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that one of the things is, you know, I just really like this approach to deck building when it comes to kind of telling a story. Um, you know, it, it wasn't a matter because this is something that people I hear a lot lately with EDH, um, especially with the idea of kind of staples. And, you know, there's a ton of discussion in the community about what a casual format is. And I think of the ability to take something like restrictions. It kind of breeds creativity. And I asked a question today about to, to some people on, on the Goblin Lore account, you know, knowing you were going to be on tonight and we were going <laughs> to be discussing this, like, uh, as I tend to do, I seed questions by asking people to get a conversation. And one of the first responses I got was somebody talking about building a deck based off of budget version of a commander that they really wanted to build, but they knew that if they didn't put restrictions in place, it's very easy to just let that get um, out of hand. It's very easy to kind of overbuild things. And when you're trying to kind of be more creative, it is one of those things that we talk about, the idea behind commander in the early days to begin with was singleton, bigger decks. The idea in some ways was to try to get people to be more creative, to kind of push that flexibility. And you're, you're kind of, it's one of the reasons I think we see variance is people try to find that spark. They're trying to find that creativity because I do think that it is true that actually putting restrictions in place, not just making it where, you know, you basically have the whole world open to a deck like, okay, well this, I would love to run this card. It doesn't work thematically, so I am going to choose to cut it. Uh, it. It gets to this little point where maybe not every deck needs Soul Ring. Not every deck needs an Arcane Signet. Um, I actually purposefully have... Well, I mean, I've, I've, I've never really owned Mana Crypts. I did seek one out recently because I built Kark and Sakashima coin flips. And it was like, okay this makes sense. Like I, I'm trying to get as many Kark's thumbs. I have to look at coin flip cards. I mean, this is a deck that actually mana crypt, not only it, maybe it makes it a little bit more powerful, but it makes sense that I want it in this deck. There really was kind of an intentionality to it. And, you know, there's, there's different levels. I think that you can take this to one of the, the things is even down to the level of the basic land choice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, so, like I said earlier, I have my deck spread out because I'm a very visual person. I, I'll forget things if, you know, if I don't see it. So, um, yeah, ADHD, blessing and a curse. And uh, <laughs> so what I did was for each um, basic land, I put in three. I am terrible at mana bases. So <laughs> I'm laughing because me too. It's like uh, I counted up some basics and it looks good. Like okay, it so, seems to work. Like I I don't know. So I put in uh, as my only creature land. I, I think is my only one. I put in the fairy conclave. It's very. I, mean, I love it. Rain's got tons of fairies. Yep. You know. Yep. I yep. got a whole theme on it. I mean, I did put in uh, the Jund and. Uh, Naya, Panama, Panama, however you say that, you know, the, the search lands, 
just because I kind of need that one, you know, those and the, uh, the various uh, trilands that tap, kind of uh, the, the nature of the beast with it being five colors and trying to, you know, trying to <laughs> make it at least kind of work. Right, right. Five color, not with a perfect mana base, so you need it to work somewhat. You're not yeah. building, you weren't building this for an optimized lands. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I included those. Uh, I feel like they are very low power though. And, um, but some of the other lands that I even added, Path of uh, Ancestry, like a lot of kings are, you know, it's like a lineage. Mm -hmm. and uh, put a lot of stock in that kind of stuff. Uh, from Modern Horizons, you got Cave of Temptation, which once again goes to, say, the uh, the Curious Pear and uh, trying to find that that uh, apple, the uh, apple pie from the witch, you know. You got Command Tower, and of course, I have to use the Throne one because it uh, references Gadwick. Oh, nice. I like it. I appreciate uh, it. And then exotic and forbidden orchards, you know, because to me, they kind of have the. Uh, well, they're the forest right around kind of you're thinking you still have the wilds versus not. Yeah. I mean, you have your you have your curious pair out in the wilderness. I mean, you know, you it, it does fit kind of very thematically to include these, you know, the, the areas that maybe I love the idea of the forbidden orchard or the exotic. Like there's the idea that it's 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 the outside of the the castle grounds or the courts themselves. Yeah. Because you still have the uh, interplay between kind of the fairy tale and the like Arthurian stuff. And then as far as basic lands, um, now that I'm double checking, I think I might've cheated on my swamp, but three of the four, the Island forest, mountain plains, I have one, um, those lands each have a, um, either a castle or like a large structure in them. And then uh, that way it kind of represents each of the, you know, the uh, royal courts uh, mm -hmm. for the swamp. I guess I could cheat. And, uh, you know, I got the, the one that kind of looks like a, by uh, Victor Adam Mingus that's got a, um, the swirling kind of graveyard looking. Oh, uh, what so I'm hearing is that you beautiful. need to go back and fix your uh, swamp situation. I, sh I should. And then, yeah. uh, so then the other ones I picked uh, based on, you know, like they look like, um, like a path through the castles, you know, they have like flags or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, they're in the wilderness. Um, one of my favorites is by Mark Poole. And throne, it's got the uh, the wishing well in it. Oh, it's yeah. It's just kind of, to me, it's yeah. just very pretty. And uh, then there's also the swamp that's kind of like the grove lit up at night, like the, the lights up in the trees. And uh, so that's another personal favorite. So I snuck those ones in. And then... Uh, Everything that we're kind of talking about when it comes to this deck is like, you know, you, you want to, you enjoy visually getting to play it, right? Like yeah. it, it's, it plays yeah. through your, like when these lands come up. And I mean, I think this is something that I've seen more and more deck builders talking about, you know, making a decision on the basics, you know, personalizing decks in ways that are not just about 
the individual cards. It's not just, oh, I play this pet card of mine or I play specific, you know, I play, um, I'm just thinking of, you know, I'm going to either play the most powerful card or I'm going to play this card that nobody's ever heard of. It's even in the basics, you can have a sense of kind of creativity, a sense of storytelling that you're bringing to the deck and making it personal, making it your own. Yeah, just Um, because people say that snows, you know, are... uh, strictly better than basics i mean <laughs> it most likely is true yeah however i mean how many snow cars are you really running i mean it's a commander deck yeah like is there a reason well i mean i thought about this with the so i'm building an anafri deck and the that is actually the first time that i'm really putting snows in and also it gave me a chance to seek out specifically titus lunter snow basics because i have some of my old ice age ones i could play a bunch of mismatch and that's something i'm kind of known for like <laughs> i white i play white bordered lands and decks and i i mismatch things i also really like i i love titus as a person and so being able to have those those beautiful lands of his you know i, I mean i we're gonna i'm gonna get into we're gonna transition here in a second to talking about something else um and it, and it oh, okay. kind of directly involves Titus. So I think that that makes sense, but you know, I didn't just run snow to run snow. Um, I got the Nafri and I got the showcase version and like it cares about snow. So now cool. Now I have a reason to go out and, you know, find 40 snow basics that match uh, to play into a deck. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. Usually I'm the same way where I, tried to make it so every single land didn't match. And then this is, <laughs> um, because yeah, even in regular decks, like, cause I play a lot of, you know, modern and standard and whatnot. And even on arena, I'll go through and <laughs> I will that's, that's dedication. mismatch my lands. To mismatch your lands on arena is dedication. And, and I am here for it. You can't make them whiteboarded though. I know you can't. It's still I up did to erase my screen. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've literally asked. I, I, I put this request out numerous times. So, uh, but the project that I mentioned at the top of the show that I am working on is I have my Goblin EDH deck. Um, so we gave away a copy of a Goblin deck, and and I built the deck to give away. And while doing this, was like, wait a second, like I really like this deck. I <laughs> like I really enjoy Never playing it. You put so, so much time into building it that you end up I did really enjoying yeah. it. Yeah, I built it to give away and then said, wait a second. And um, so I've rebuilt the deck. And then recently I've wanted to kind of find a way to support artists. Um, Just, you know, that's something that I've seen more and more that we're within the magic community. You know, artists do this incredible, beautiful work, um, you know, that we see on these small frames. And, you know, they, they go into packs and we buy them and you can... But how do you support artists directly? You know, how do you get money back into the artist's hands to to kind of, you know, like obviously they were commissioned to do a piece, but I also just, you know, it's not freelance work. I know how that goes. Like it's such a grind. It's no, no, it's not lucrative. It's a grind. It's so. What was that? I mean, one of the artists just came out with how tough the pandemic was mm -hmm. on him uh, mentally and on Twitter, just talking about that things have been so hard to make ends meet mm-hmm. because their normal revenues of like going to GPs and signing things or doodling on random cards out of your binder. You yeah. Know, you can't really do that. 
Well, I think of somebody like RK Post, that that man is everywhere. Like he, his, his travel schedule is like the most ridiculous thing you will ever see. Um, I, I mean, he is somebody that is just a great person to get to talk to at events. I've always had fun. I mean, he was one of the first ones to really start doing the tokens, you know, like selling tokens, ways to find other revenue streams for artists because prints and play mats, like there's some element there, you know, so now you see like a lot of artists will do token sets that they'll sell or, you know, they have Patreons. Well, one thing that Wizards has actually had since like the beginning that not everybody knows about is what is called an artist proof. And I will fully admit that the first time I saw these, I did not know what they were. So the first time I heard about them, oh, I believe it was from uh, uh, Victor uh, Minguez mm -hmm. on Twitter. He had mentioned something about them. And I ended up buying um, a handful of them off of him. Uh, and when I got them, uh, I finally got to see what they really were. And they're, <laughs> uh, and you know, I thought it was really cool. They're yeah. the actual magic card, but they have a blank back. Yeah. So if Completely. you've never seen these, I did post some recently, um, on my, my Twitter feed, they are a normal looking magic card from the front. Uh, they mean, they are the card art on there. Usually that are signed um, when people get them. Usually artists will sign them. Some will number them. And then on the back of them, it is a blank back. Uh, one reason that a lot of artists number them is these are something that are given to the artists by wizards, but they're only given in small amounts. Um, it's usually 30 foils and 50 non-foils for each yes. printing of the card. And so I want to say that it's always been 50 because the foils are more or less kind of newer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I believe it's 30. And I mean, and, and any artists that are listening can correct me if I'm wrong. If so, then Titus is lying to me because he sent me uh ensnaring bridge I got from him at one point and it was numbered 30 out of 30. So I, I don't want to find out that he was lying uh, to me. Uh, uh, <laughs> he's just put, the, been putting 30 out of 30 on everybody's. Yeah, on everybody's. Well, but these are these are rare. Like these are actually very rare, even comparatively. Now, obviously, once again. Not able to be used in sanctioned play, technically, because they, they, they don't be. have a magic back on them. Yes, and if you get a rare, you'll also notice that they have the cutout, but they do not actually have the uh, the hollow the foil, foil on the new one. Yeah, on the new ones. Yeah. Yep. But these are not new. They're they're, but people don't know about them. A lot of people okay. don't. I so the history them. is. Do you know what yes. the history when they first? No, came no, I want to hear so, it. They they were uh, requested for, I, you know, uh, I'm, this is all like eighth-hand knowledge from the internet, but they were requested <laughs> for uh, by the artists. And uh, so the very first ones um, were square corner, just mm. like collector's, collector's edition. editions. Yeah. Right? And the international edition, right? And from what I was reading, it's these proofs are why those have the square corners or vice versa oh wow because they That's printed cool. them at the same time and mm -hmm. uh so there's actually uh arabian nights doesn't actually even have any artist proofs because those have not come out yet mm -hmm. 
So it was oh. kind of moving forward from that point. But I mean, these have been around for a good portion of magic history. Yes. I mean, there I are those came out at... of, of power. There yes. are artist proofs that have um, from revised. There's dual lands. I mean, you and I were talking today, and this is the thing. Some of these cards can fetch like a pretty penny because they are very, very rare. So an example would be um, Schuler's Demonic Tutor, like the original Alpha Beta Unlimited printing of demonic tutor that art there are there are there are these artist proofs from revised so a white border demonic tutor with a white back on it um now the other thing that's cool about this, <laughs> yes 1500 dollars is what that will run you as we found out because you know these these are cool and these are things that i think that we've had a lot of discussion in the community about proxies this is another thing that i think you're going to see the the edh crowd like this is something that you can embrace. This is something that you can, you know, it, it becomes a project. And that's the reason I'm bringing it up because what I found while just starting this dive in was I started making a list of the deck um, of what I have and then who the artists were and then what arts there were and then how to find the artists, which I will tell you, you know, not all artists are going to be active. You know, we, for every Titus Lunter that's on the, you know, that is on Twitter or has been on this show and is very engaged in the community. There's a lot of artists that might not be. It becomes or kind they've of a, moved away from. Magic. Or they've moved away of magic. They like they don't know that people want these artist proofs. You know, like I mean, I'm sure there are some that don't realize that this is something that people want, or um, they don't want to deal with it. Right, because it's it a, a lot of work. Mm-hmm. What is cool, though, is that like the blank back, the other cool thing about it is it gives artists a place to personalize copies of it. So one of the things that a lot of artists will do, and this is kind of a, a nice way if you're trying to support artists and you're able to, you can uh, – it depends on the person. And that's why we're going to talk about how to go about this. But you can they, – they often will have a fee associated with, hey, you want a pen or a pencil drawing on the back of it? I'll do that. Um, now usually there's a, a fee associated with that, but that's the point is you can kind of support the artist and get your own like unique version of a magic card. Yes. So, and the funny thing is, uh, even though I had known about the cards, I actually didn't even start building this deck until I bought a, uh, there was, uh, Ascendant Envicar is one of my favorite cards. Mm-hmm. Because I absolutely love Nemesis. Like, that's one of my favorite blocks. It is terrible cards, but I love them. And the story is just, I, I loved it. So, um, and the cards in it aren't powerful, but they're, like, in a sense to me, like Throne of Eldraine. They tell a lot of the story about this, about them fighting, the rebels fighting, the uh, Evancar of Wrath, and trying to, you know, get out from under their thumb and back to where they're supposed to, you know, where they come from. And um, so I found out that there's a magazine promo of it called Gada. And what it is, is on the back, it just says Magic the Gathering trading card game, classic sixth edition, Gada special version, and it's green and it's not a regular back. And I was asking uh, some, some people in Discord, like, okay, what do I do with this? I was, I'm going to make a commander deck but what do I do? And somebody said, well, what about an artist proof deck? And I said, okay, I'll go with it. And um, <laughs> that's when I really started looking into it. Yeah. 
um it, this started what's funny is like i didn't even know honestly that you were working on this until i brought up it out of kind of one day i was just like huh like okay like i want to learn more about artist proofs i want to do this why not try to turn my goblin deck into an artist proof deck i know People like Mike Lineman, Donnie Kaltreiter, they've got some connections and maybe one of them will be able to help me get started on this project. Mm -hmm. And so I bring it to that and then I just post about it and you reach out and you're like, hey, yeah, here we go. Like, and, and what's <laughs> I funny- I probably have like, a playable 100, what's up? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like, and that's the thing that we're gonna, yeah, like I've already seen like, okay, this deck is gonna have some cards in it that maybe if I'm really gonna truly do this, like some of these cards I'm not gonna get. You know, I started going through my list and like, it's just, it's not gonna happen. I mean, some of these cards are, the artists are dead or, you know, they've, they've passed away. Like getting a proof is gonna be basically like, it's kind of cool. Maybe there's some that I'll try to get. Um, but you're but buying like, them secondhand now. You're either buying them secondhand or you're having to come across them at a, a random trade buy. I mean, like, it's going to be stories, which is cool to look for. But this is the other piece that we started seeing. And I learned from kind of you is that, like, it, it's just, I always think it's interesting when we reach into the different areas of magic community to see, like, the, the, the seedy underbelly that there's, like, unfortunately, just like with anything to do with capitalism. <laughs> Like people that go out and like buy up artist proofs and then jack up the price on eBay. Like I went yeah. to go look on eBay to start with and I found this, this seller and we're not going to get into specifics. It's just, you can find it pretty easily. And as soon as I contacted you, you were like, oh yeah, like that's a known <laughs> thing. And I was like, but I can get those directly from the artist for a fraction of the cost. And yes, yes, but nobody knows this. Like, exactly. So. It's very That's, kind of weird to find this out. So, so my journey was kind of since I knew uh, about the artist proofs, I just kind of Googled. I'm not even sure what my first order was. Mm -hmm. um, I know some of my first ones, um, Mark Zugs, because I wanted to get a copy of my oh, commander as an artist yeah. proof. Yeah. Which then reading his website, he says, you know, hey, just email me, tell me which ones you want from the spreadsheet and so on. And uh, here's the prices. I don't sketch anymore. And I'm like, <laughs> so now I, I can't even get my commander sketched unless I find one. And uh, and unfortunately, it was the 10th edition, not the nemesis. I mean, oh, it's not even I mean, white border. I mean, if you're not going to have the original, so the, you at least want white borders. So the funny thing is. The Gata is actually white-bordered, even though it's got the nemesis symbol. <laughs> <laughs> now, those are my favorite types. So uh, then I, you know, just started kind of looking up people. Uh, I believe that uh, Darkin, I think that's how you say their name? Yep, Darkin. Uh, mm -hmm. he, was, uh, he was another one that I, I reached out to, and uh, he's got some, some pretty good ones. And he's also the one that I figured out that if it's a split card, if it's a dual face card, I mean, uh, it's actually two different proofs. So, so I discovered this way because I was looking at uh, the dual faced red black land for that just came out in um, and and learned that yeah there I was like well how can there be an artist proof of this? <laughs> yes. <clears throat> so, like my Elbrus, Elbrus the Binding Blade uh, doesn't I don't have the backside to it. It is sold out. <laughs> and uh, 
That's amazing. Because that I didn't one realize side of it is sold out. So and since I didn't realize that it was sold out, I had asked for a sketch on it. And I was like, I don't know how it's gonna work, but it, <laughs> hey, on the site you can off, you know, you can get a sketch. So now I'm gonna have to uh and that was by uh Eric uh does Champs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um I am terrible with names. And so from there, if I spent longer than five seconds before hitting purchase, <laughs> I could have found the from the vault printing that he only sells them oh, as a pair. As a pair. <laughs> yeah. No, and this but is luckily, like, I, I've been on some sites looking. Uh, I ended up getting the last of two, it looks like, that I didn't even mean to. Uh, so I got a Conflux Evolving Wilds. And so... Uh, at Bolt the Bee, if people know, is like a huge Evolving Wilds fan. And I told her about, hey, you know, like these artist proofs are very reasonably priced. I know you love Evolving Wilds. And she went to click right after I had bought them and like there was no conflicts lux left. Like she was trying to buy one of every print that was available. Like that this the <laughs> like, oh oops, sorry, that's in my bin. And then uh I bought Grenzo, same thing, the red-black Grenzo I needed to be. Um, so it's Lucas Graciano. Graciano. Um, I wanted that to be my, like, that was, like, the first purchase I made, right? Like, got to have the commander. And okay. I got that one in foil. And it's now not available on the website anymore in foil. So, like, it's kind of, it's, it's, this is those things. Once that's gone, like, it's it's unclear. So, I, yeah. my personal uh, thing is... I knew that basic lands would be the toughest to to acquire. So, can you also, say a little bit about that because that was surprising to me when I started this? Yeah, I mean, a normal commander deck for me, what I do is I count out thirty nine. My commander makes forty, therefore I have sixty cards to fill. Well, I quickly decided that I would not buy out swamps as I came across them to finish the deck quicker. What I would do is buy out some, you know, so I think I got two of Titus's uh, snow-covered uh, swamps, you know, because those are, they're pretty hot. I got I can't lie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and then I think from a couple of them, I might've bought three of it. Uh, and that was just kind of because I, I just kept running into walls trying to find basic lands because my deck's only one color. And there's no TCG for artist proofs. No. It no. Is, and this, you're Google searching. I didn't even know about Mark at the time. Yes. Uh, who's, so, yeah. So who's there's a the, uh, guy on yeah, Facebook. So, yeah. That, there's people that are looking into kind of this. Um, I will tell you that, you know, there are a lot of times, so if you join the art groups that are on Facebook, so like there's the art market, there are signature groups. This this is like takes work to just even learn about some of this piece. Like I had a, a hand up or a leg up in some ways because I'm because um, Mike Lineman is happens to be a local to Minneapolis and is a friend, right? So he he knows a lot of the artists. He he represents artists. So you know. This is stuff that takes building relationships and Google searches become your friend. Um, approaching My people appropriately well, is, is, is something that artist we'll talk name about. and, and artist, proof. Uh, artist proof or yeah. them and store or something like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and you'll find that, that this is going to get you so far. So if, I mean, I'm throwing this in too, because this is, uh, so we talk a little bit about uh, recently, there's been discussion of like kind of this idea of like the parasocial relationships that develop because of internet. And um, Lawrence Harmon had his article that he talked about this, that, you know, that's, that's one of the things is with the internet, the way that it is, and with social media, you know, I think people get familiar at times and they, they think that they know somebody or somebody owes them something because either they're giving them money or they want to give them money mm-hmm. and realizing that like, that's not going to work that, you know, like approaching an artist and just like aggressively asking about these things. It, it, it is kind of, you want to be respectful of the artists. I mean, you, you are wanting to give them money. You are wanting to support them. Uh, artists are incredibly busy. I mean, I, I, I contacted one person that was like, uh, contacted Pete Venters and he's like, I've got some of what you would like. My store's closed till May. Like, mm-hmm. please just reach back out then. I mean, it, it is recognizing that the, how you go about this is really going to be, you know, this is one of those things that I think, as you were mentioning at the beginning with artists talking about how they lose out on revenue, like, sh- this is the things that people brought to shows with them. Like they would have their binder with their artist proofs. That's how I remember seeing these. These were like at GPs. Uh, we're in a different world now. And doing this is kind of a fun, just, this is something that I just think is funny because in a pandemic world, I need distractions. I don't have all my normal ones. This mm-hmm. has been like amazing to me to do. Just even yeah. start this. And I have to say, I am sorry, Mr. Mingus. For bothering you, I talking about that parasitical uh, relationship. I bugged him about things that I should not have, and I'm going to say I apologize now. I'm <laughs> well. I'm, I'm, I I, I'm you, sure that he's a huge fan of the Goblin Lore podcast, so I, I'm. I don't know if he listens, but <laughs> I, I just want to put it out there, and the odd <laughs> chance that maybe he does. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, if it was up to me. Every artist would listen to the show. Yeah. We haven't had an artist on in a while. We need to work on that. Yes. And, um, yeah, so like I said, one of my big things was um, was not buying out any. Now, if I bought a single and it was the last one, I mean, yeah. I, can't, I can't help that. Right. You didn't want to set out to kind of just, even though it would make your life easier, you wanted to have people have the same opportunities maybe that you did so, to not yeah. be buying out all of somebody's 30 basics from the, that they got that yes that's all of them um because as we're you're finding out and like i said if you want to go look on ebay and i did pick some up off of ebay because there are some that are reasonable but this is like it's learning a whole new market like, okay this person is just jacking up prices like okay this person looks to see like they maybe they represented them because they have sets of them but they're reasonably priced um yes yeah and you can usually tell and that's why like i'm part of uh the facebook group for artist proofs and um and i try not to bug mark (laughs) unless i see he's got the green circle on facebook (laughs) messenger uh you know because I yeah. don't want to be that irresponsible guy that's yeah. waking him up or bothering him when he's doing something. Uh, and I think this is learning that the once again, just because somebody represents an artist, a lot of the people who tend to do this, like Mike, like Mark, uh, Donnie's another one that we've mentioned, like they have jobs. Like this is something that they're doing separate. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm kind of the same way. Like I just, uh, 
drop a message if I hear something or I know they'll get back to me when they can. Just kind of that expectation that if this is something that you're interested in doing, doing some research, doing the legwork up front is going to go a long way towards getting better responses. Literally just um, keep Googling. <laughs> start there and then like, you know, and, and build. Yeah, just, and this is a fun, I don't know. I wanted to have you on to talk about this because I think that this is just, this is, we've had two different things that we're talking about here. The story that you tell by building your deck. And I think that the artist proof has been my project and my way to do that right now. Like it ties me to the Goblin Lore podcast. It really, you know, keeps me like the show is so important to me that now being able to start working towards a deck that's going to have those elements is very personal to me. Um, and in a way that even my Bolas deck, which is the longest standing deck that I've had, is not. You know, like that deck has a lot of memories. It's very personal. It's built. I mean, it's the deck I've had. I love playing it. This is going to be different. This is going to be something that I can tell a story about, kind of like you and I have been doing here today. I can, you know, it, it, and I think this all just comes back to me to storytelling, whether it be in our gameplay or whether it be in how we we're able to find the card that we wanted for the deck. Uh, so I, I really, I just want to thank you, Dan, for taking the time to come on. Tell us about your deck, which is a very personal project for you. And then to also like, just let me help enlighten people about artist proofs, which is just something that I feel like everybody should know way more about. And something that you can remember is if you buy a proof, especially if you think it's going to be a high demand one, you can always send it back in to get that sketch or that painting later. Mm -hmm. um, so like I have a revised nightmare from Melissa Benson. Of course, at the time I sprung for the painting and she did, she put a, you know, a uh, close up of, you know, the, the nightmare. And then same yeah. thing with uh, uh, Anson Maddox. Mm -hmm. He actually drew a zoomed out picture of uh, the revised Sanger vampire that I got. Oh, that's awesome. And they put a lot of quality detail into it. And, uh, but even some of the quicker ones, you know, they could still. Yeah. And quick I think sketches, but they still, you know, look cool. And I've got a, a swamp, which I should probably get over to you that I, I got in a lot from somebody <laughs> The back of the swamp is a goblin face. <laughs> oh, well, then I mean, yeah. Which, to be fair, <laughs> I actually did just place an order for uh, some Titus Lunter, and he is supposed to be doing a goblin for me on the back of a thriving moor. So the jumpstart red black yeah. land. And I will fully admit to, I did end up springing for an artist proof of the Phyrexian swamp. and I have one of those too. <laughs> it is beautiful and it is worth the money and also i think it i mean if, if you want to look into these things you'll see that for certain cards there is there is a premium just like there is with just like there is going to be with um finding a specific edition or a foil because he got i mean that, that was jumpstart jumpstart didn't come foil right i mean so basically yeah. there's like 50 of these yep. with phyrexian script until they get oh, oh no no Oh, yeah, the, the Frex. I don't even know if that's going to get reprinted. Right. I mean, so, like, there's the question, you know. So, like, you know, like, it was just kind of like, these are cool opportunities to own something of magic history that is limited in a way that is collectible. And, 
you know, yep, can't use it in sanctioned play. This really is about the collection and about supporting the artist. Yeah, so. and uh, so like, I have a Bantu's Last Reckoning. I traded a card to uh, Victor Menges for it. He was looking for a uh, LED. <laughs> nice. I had an LED that I was getting rid of. Yeah, and, that is. Uh, that is so, so he goes, hey, pick any, you know, pick any card. So, you know, I I looked at his vast list and instead of getting, you know, Kaya's Wrath or something good, you know, I got my favorite board wipe of all time. Mm-hmm. And um, he asked what I wanted on the back. A lot, uh, there's some artists that more or less just like to do on the backside, do just the uh, the same picture yeah. or some variation of it. Uh, and some really like to go out. Well, he went all out and did a painting of Bantu, but it was his eternal version. So on the front, it's Bantu um, mm-hmm. trying to take up the, you know, all the zombies and, you know, save Hazard in the story. And then on the back is a masterful uh, painting. It's an actual painting on the back of Bantu as a... Uh, eternal and i just told him to do you know whatever he wanted to on the back of it uh and then sometimes like i got a uh a sorn uh from kieran yanner i think that's how you say his name but it's the masterpiece one oh. and uh on the back i asked if he could do uh what's his angel's name avison avison yeah uh just because for me, those two kind of really go together. And I said, if you're okay doing it, could you do do her? If not, it's up to you. And, you know, I try to be respectful and um, I try to, you know, I usually do like to leave it up to the artist, you know, and, but for that one, I kind of said, hey, I've got a request. Well, and I think that, that, that let artists be artists. So, you know, yes, maybe you have something that you would like done from them also giving them that room to you know they like to create so but yeah so thanks for joining us dan and you and i have managed to blather on for over an hour i could i love blather on for another two days well i I know that so (laughs) thank you like i said i just appreciate you coming on especially last minute doing this and everybody out there will uh see you soon and that's our show for today you can find the hosts on Twitter. Hotsku can be found at Hotsku, and Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Comicler. Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter, or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmokes, the cast can be found at Patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten, or online at vendorgotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Tipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at hipstersofthecoast.com. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.